following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Episode 770 of I Doubted Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today, as I always am, by the irascible, lovely, talented, and scholarly Brittany Page, everybody. Did you hear about Jordan Peterson and how... <laughs> <laughs> Only because of you, I did, but well, go ahead. Well, first of all, Amazon sent me a list of book recommendations yesterday, and... Is Bezos trying to proselytize... Jordan B. Peterson. Yes, contained within the email was 12 Rules for Life, which isn't even a new book. Yeah, there's not a chance you're making your fucking bed. I mean, come on. Well, absolutely not. I think that's a waste of time. It is a waste of time. It's for sure a waste of time. You're going to get gonna right get it- back in that right. thing and make a mess. Making your bed is maybe the most stupid thing in the world to do, second only to making the bed of a hotel before you check out. Oh, who who I know people. What? I know people. <laughs> I mean, that's a level of neurosis that even I don't yeah, understand. Because in their minds, in their dumb making the bed before the check out of a hotel brain, yeah. they think that they're like doing the the housekeeping staff a service when really they're just making more work for them. I mean, if you leave only the top layer that I know never gets washed, then maybe you're doing them a favor. Well, then they right? still have to take that off to put the sheets on. Yeah, but they probably appreciate that you didn't or you like... Just, you just wanted to get the dig in that you know they never washed that top Well, thing. of course I'm trying to get the, the dig in, but the, now you're... The jizz-saturated... <laughs> for sure. Ma- uh, what is it? jizz-saturated. The, 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 the... What's it called? The, like, duvet cover... The, the the yeah the outer shell. There's a name for it though. Isn't it a duvet cover? No, a duvet cover is like a a sock that you put a comforter inside of mm-hmm. with like buttons on the end, so you can change out the look of your motif of your bedroom. Yeah, Brittany Page. Okay, <laughs> interior design but brought just, to you by listen, Jesse Dollimore. We yeah grew up poor uh-huh. and trash. <laughs> We're just a couple of white trash kids trying to get by. Everybody. Yeah, no, we really are. So anyway, back to Jordan Peterson. Oh, that's I don't... where we were. That's where we were. <laughs> he recently resigned from his that's position right. as a full tenured professor at the University of Toronto. Yeah. Isn't that where Pease is from Very Bad Wizards now? The University of Toronto? Yeah. I don't think so. We're still at Cornell. I oh, think no, so. Oh, no. It's it's uh, it's a uh, Yale guy. Paul Bloom? Paul Bloom went back to the University of Toronto. I think that might be the case. Yeah. So there's several things in this Jordan Peterson article that are just absolute gems that I think it's important to read. Well, number one, he's resigning from his position and the usual suspects are going wild about this kind of thing. But it's like self-punishing, right? Barry Wise did it when she left and started her Substack empire. And they all do this. They leave and then they act like they were pushed out, which is what he's doing. I mean, this is a long 
article that he wrote in the National Post, nationalpost.com. It's just martyrdom, self-flagellation. Yes. So... In explaining why he made this decision, he writes, quote, First, my qualified and supremely trained heterosexual white male graduate students, and I've had many others, by the way, face negligible chance of being offered university research positions, despite stellar scientific dossiers. This is partly because of diversity, inclusivity, and equity mandates. My preferred acronym, <laughs> DIE. Wow. Mm -hmm. What a creative fella. <laughs> so really, I mean, it's a brave move to stand up for the straight white male mm -hmm. on Earth today. We mm -hmm. Listen, I, I don't say this enough on the show, but we've had it really bad for a long, long time. <laughs> There's not enough opportunities mm -hmm. for people who look like me, Brittany Page. Yeah. It's a hard life to navigate when you are white and and cis and and, and straight, mm -hmm. not just in America, obviously in Canada too. It's it's a hard road to hoe. Sure. Well, apparently not for Jordan Peterson because I'm, I'm going to quote him here. Quote: My students, undergraduates and graduates alike, were positively predisposed toward me. Wow. That is the most Jordan Jordan Peterson-esque sentence I've ever heard. Yeah, they weren't fond of him. They didn't like him. They were positively predisposed toward him. Man, that, that's $70,000 a month he was grifting <laughs> is treating him well. Yeah, well, hidden in here is another gem about conversion therapy, which is the therapy that some evangelical Christian types inflict on the LGBTQ community. Pray the gay away. Pray the gay away, exactly. And he Which is, by the way, as an aside, illegal in many states across the union. Well, and so Canada just took similar action, and Jordan Peterson evidently has a problem with that. But I, I feel like he wrote this super run-on sentence so that you almost can't figure out, like, is that what he's saying? Like, is he coming out in defense of conversion therapy? That's his skill. That's Which, what he does. Which, again, when you hear him talk is what he does. But to see it in writing, I think, is a little unique. Yeah, but there, lay it on me. So he writes, quote, that combined with some recent legislative changes in Canada claiming to outlaw so-called called conversion therapy, parenthetically, but really making it exceedingly risky for clinicians to do anything ever but agree always and about everything with their clients, have likely doomed the practice of clinical psychology, which always depended entirely on trust and privacy. So it sounds to me like he believes psychology is dead because they're disallowing an abusive trauma-inducing therapy that, one, doesn't work because you can't pray the gay away. It's like praying the black away. Mm -hmm. Just pray hard enough and you'll be Caucasian. Just pray hard enough and you could possibly become a member of the, the most maligned and underserved, under-opportunized group, not a word, in the world. Mm -hmm. Well, this isn't very surprising because I've always viewed Jordan Peterson as kind of like a religious fundamentalist who's on the verge of creating a megachurch. For sure. And so I, I'm I'm not surprised to hear him come out and, and write this sentence where he's like half-heartedly seemingly upset that there would be any negative commentary about 
conversion therapy or, or efforts to ban it from practice, saying that it's going to doom clinical psychology. He also says so-called, quote-unquote, conversion therapy, almost like discounting yeah. that it exists. Yeah. It is... It's been one of the the happenings surrounding like new atheism and atheists this 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 new group that cropped up like the the the, the Sam Harrises who kind of took over and and ran with their bigotry and turned atheism from just not believing in god to mm-hmm. something completely different mm-hmm. and it's strange that so many of these types have embraced Jordan Peterson um not only Sam Harris but uh, Michael Shermer so so many others mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. Because this guy is a religious charlatan. I mean, when the, listen, when the money dries up on his all-meat diet bullshit, he's very likely, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility at all, that he's going to open his own church and start grifting that way. When mm-hmm. this one particular grift ends or starts to slow, mm-hmm. that's the natural move for a Jordan Peterson type. Right. Well, and he's always been this. He started out with his prominent platform because of the pronoun issue. Right. And so he's he's always shown his true colors, been against social justice efforts, and that's pretty much where he's always going to be, it seems. Yeah. So I don't know how we got so involved in like a hotels don't wash the comforters on beds in because, the midst of the Jordan Peterson conversation. in his 12 rules for life. Oh, that's One right. of them was, Lit, look, little boys, you got to make your bed. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's groundbreaking advice from a from a professor of clinical psychology. Well, it's also like the, that's typically something you hear from like. This is how to be a successful CEO and lead a company right. by the time you're 30. And really, it's just like have a parent that make, owns the company. Make sure you get three hours of sleep a day. Yeah. Wake up. Don't sleep. Yeah. Abuse yourself. Be born into a family that buys you a home when you're 18 and sets you up for life. I love those lists. <laughs> I love them so much. <laughs> what we're talking about, by the way, in case you don't know, is oftentimes they have these lists of like movers and shakers and the, the top 30 under 30. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, this guy made VP. You were telling me about a tweet the other day that really encapsulates what I'm getting ready to say. Mm -hmm. What was it? It was from at Peter G. Yang. And the tweet says, just had a call with someone on Forbes 30 under 30 list and came away really impressed. He shared with me how he made VP at a top tech company before age 30. Number one, 4.30 a.m. wake up. Number two, cold showers. Number three, gratitude journal. Number four, meditate. Mm. Number five, dad owns tech company. <laughs> <laughs> there's also lists, and then we're get, we got to move on with the show here, but there's also lists of people who, look, you, this is how I end up owning a home at 26 in New York City. Yeah. And a lot of it is, well, my parents paid for my college, yeah. and I, they gave me like $125,000 as a down payment. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah of course. You, there's no mystery. It's not magic. You didn't save. It's not discipline. It's you're fucking rich. Yeah. It's like those uh, financial journals in the cut or something where they like talk to some 26-year-old who has their debt paid off and they're, yeah. you know, yeah. and then hidden in there is, yeah, like their parents pay all their bills. <laughs> I mean, you went, you went to, yeah, apparently we're not going to move on with the show. You went to high school with kids who brag about not having student loans and mm-hmm. it's not because they worked hard and paid them off or didn't take out student loans or worked during college. It's because their parents paid for their school and they take it as like some kind of a badge of honor. 
on them like it was something they did mm-hmm. to ensure that they don't have student loans. Yeah. You know, anytime I see a post that someone that I know personally is out of debt, I think it's great. I think I'm very happy about that. And uh, yeah, even if it's because they had a parent help them. That's very nice. No, good for them. I'm, why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? I think that's a great thing. <laughs> because, it just because it's funny. I know that you're you, you that you actually are like, "Ah, hey, good for them." Yeah. But what I don't like, I, you're, you always put a nice spin on things like that. It's that these people are trying to take credit like they did something, like they achieved something. Yeah. And there's no achievement there. They were given something. Yeah, no, and I I definitely wish that people were more transparent about that. I mean, I think I I don't see it as much anymore, but I feel like maybe six years ago or more, it was more common to see old high school connections like posting photos of the car they just bought or like, you know, whatever material possession that they just achieved. And I think it's important to people because the society that we live on to kind of society that we live in to channel your status, flash that to people so that they can see that you are making it. Right, that you're doing well, like that's something that's important to people. Yeah, I, I for me, I think it's a it's a difference in tone. It, for instance, let's put it this way: if, if you find twenty dollars on the street, or let's say you found a hundred dollar bill on the street, and you say, "Oh my God, I found a hundred dollars," that communicates the right sentiment. Mm-hmm. And it would be weird to hear someone who found the money, who happened upon something, they had nothing to do with it other than picking it up, and they went like this. Yeah, I found a hundred dollars today. Yeah, like that's like they're arrogant about it. Like they did something. It's it should be like a oh my god, so many people aren't able to do this. I feel lucky. I feel blessed. I feel whatever the you know the 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 the, the descriptor mm-hmm. on it, and lose the arrogance. Well, there's also pushback that you get when you try to do that too, right? Because you will do that. You'll talk about the luck that you have with creating the platform that you have Mm -hmm. on YouTube and here. And more often than not, I would say people who hear you talk about that get a little uncomfortable and try to say, hey, man, it's it's not just luck. Don't count yourself out. I get that all the time. You've done a lot of hard work. You put yourself out there. It it, again, that's kind of the society talking where we believe that it is our hard work. It is us that's propelling ourselves forward or that it's only that. And by the same token, that if you're not and you don't make money, and you are a poor person, then, like, that's you, man. Yep. You you uh, brought ex- that on yourself. Exactly. By and, extension, that's the opposite side of the coin. Right, and maybe you should work harder. And sad for you. Yeah. Again, we do not believe this. <laughs> not at all. And we try very hard to ensure that we uh, make some movement on people not believing that either. One thing we do believe in is listener communication, Brittany Page. We do. And also, beautifully constructed segues. <laughs> It was pretty good. Let's get to a couple of calls, and then we will move on with the rest of the program. Hi, Brittany and Jesse. Um, it's Noah from North Carolina. Uh, I called in before, but I was just listening to your most recent episode about calling in to give your opinion to senators and members of Congress. Um, although I'm a North Carolina resident, I tried to call uh, Kirsten Sinema's office and just to kind of further the point of how useless it is to call them, her voicemail box is full and you can't leave a message. So guess the constituents in Arizona just don't matter. Thanks. Love you guys. Well, I would um, 
I would say, and I don't want to pour a heap of silver lining up your ass, Noah, but it's not always a bad idea. Yeah, there's some bad apples out there, but a, a, a senator or a congressperson can't just keep their phones turned off forever. So this might have been your one experience, but I don't think that it generalizes to every single member of Congress and how they handle communications from constituents. Well, and I think that's an important point because Kristen Cinema is also notorious for running away, oh. running away from people who are trying to ask <laughs> yeah, her questions, yeah, yeah. including the press. By the way, she doesn't engage with the press. She remember the video of the the people following her into She's the bathroom, like faking a phone call all the time. Yeah, or following her into the bathroom, and that was so controversial for everyone. When you can't even get through to her voicemail. So <laughs> I I understand that that would be frustrating, but I, I would encourage Noah to maybe take part in grassroots campaigns that are working to uh, get Kristen Cinema out of there and get a more progressive candidate in. I know that many people are not happy with her and there is a Emily's spotlight. List. Emily's list just, they were the, her, her largest dollar supporter in 2018 explain what emily's list is they are they're they're um an advocacy group that one promotes getting women elected to office but also kind of as a secondary and not like a lesser than but they also support candidates who who advocate for um women's reproductive health rights Mm -hmm. so uh, they're a major donor like they probably donate they probably donated a billion or so dollars to different candidates and they've decided that they're done with her. Mm-hmm. Big deal. Huge, huge. It's like I was talking yesterday or the other day about what what's the who bought her and how much did it cost them? Because this is going to cost her, mm-hmm. and hopefully it sways her in some way. I, you know, I don't know. We'll see. Right. It's, clearly, it's not the constituents who influence how she acts. It's the dollars. It's the campaign money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In my estimation. Yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. A fucking allegedly. Anyway. So, Noah. You know, you've got some Congress people there in, in North Carolina who are needing some fucking phone calls too, including one of your senators, Senator Burr, who mm-hmm. loves to inside trade and also <laughs> has taken a page out of Kirsten Cinema's playbook to avoid the press and run onto elevators that are, are senator only mm-hmm. so the press can't follow them. Yeah. Read my statement I put out. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Thanks for the call, though. We appreciate you very much. Uh, moving on. Hey, guys. This is Roxanne in L.A. Still bummed that you guys are no longer, you know, in this state. But it's fine. It's fine. I'm happy for you. I hope you're settled and you're comfortable. Um, I hope there's lots of fun things to do in D.C. But um, that aside, I just wanted to ask you guys' thoughts on Joe Biden being bullied into giving everybody free COVID tests. I've been seeing links everywhere on social media. Friends have been texting me saying, have you ordered your free COVID tests? I thought that was amusing. And also, Navient lost a lawsuit because they had been essentially tricking um their clients or consumers into going into forbearance when they um, needed to pay back their student loans. Um, from what I've read, I'm, it just seems like there's a lot of hoops to jump through to get your loan forgiven and was curious about your thoughts on that. Um, as always, love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. 
So I don't know much about the Navient thing, but I can say this. Uh, if you want to know about the tactics and the underhanded sinister business uh, that they've got running over there, check out John Oliver from last week tonight. He did an entire expose almost exclusively on Navient and their, their, their really shady fucking business practices. Mm -hmm. um, as far as the COVID test thing, it is interesting to me, not interesting, I find it laughable that we went so, well, it's laughable from one per perspective because they were so fucking wrong. The administration was so wrong on the testing thing. Mm -hmm. But it's also, it should signal to us, here we are, silver lining Jesse over here. It should signal to us that we do have an administration that does respond to the will of the people. Mm -hmm. That when when Jen Psaki said, what do you want us to do? Send a test to everybody? And then the, the, <laughs> the internet and, 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 and society said, yeah, mm -hmm. fuck yes, that's ex exactly what we want you to do. Right. And they did it. So, mm -hmm. listen, uh, complaining and being outraged and voicing your concern and your opinion does work with certain politicians and it worked with Joe Biden. Now, did they roll it out correctly? No, probably not. What are they offering? Four tests per household? Regardless of the size of house the household. Yeah, yes. so if you got if you got five kids or four kids, which isn't a, a you know a, a a pack of kids or a it's not too many kids, isn't a pack like a lot? Or is it a little bit? I don't know. It's a number. Mm-hmm. It it's it's an amount. Yeah, I've heard that. Because didn't somebody pick a pack of pickled peppers? That's um, a pack. It's yeah, an amount. I think, see, I'm in my 30s, so I don't know if this is like a school <laughs> is rhyme that, like, too or... too new of information to onboard because you're too old? The yeah. Old, the, no, that's the exactly the problem. learning new tricks thing. <laughs> that's exactly the problem. So anyway... Let's see. What measurement is a peck? Are you Googling it? While you're Googling it. Equal to eight dry quarts. All right, there you go. So if you have eight dry quarts worth of kids, <laughs> that's, that's not enough. I don't think enough. that's what a peck is. is that? that's, that's not enough COVID okay. tests. Yeah. To, to, and it's like a one-time shot, too. It's not, eight, it's not eight quarts of dry kids every month. It's, well, it's and four it, COVID tests. It also has to be a valid residential address. So like if you have a P.O. box that you use, for example, can't send it there. Right. Also, if you're unhoused. Yeah. You can't get any yeah. tests. Just be sick. And so that's a bummer. And I mean, listen, we're kind of taking a turn toward negative town, but we really... <laughs> it is good that tests are going out for free rapid tests I for household. I need to get the Debbie Downer from Saturday Night Live. Yes. Yeah. What about feline AIDS? <laughs> <laughs> we definitely need that. But so that's that's great, but the unfortunate reality is that it is limited and it's limited in such a way that many people are going to be left out of being able to access this benefit. And listen, I only kind of recently got my brain around why testing is so important. It's because people who are responsible are testing a lot. Mhm. Mm or certainly more than I am because I rarely leave the house. But And what that does is, like, we know somebody who was getting ready to go on a, mu on a music gig, tested because that's the policy, and found out he had COVID. And had no symptoms. Right. So he could have been passing it on to everybody in his band and every all the fans and everybody he came in contact with. And because of testing, it stopped the spread. So testing is a critical component of getting our fucking fist around the neck of this pandemic. 
Absolutely. You know, they're also going to be making 400 million N95 masks available to Americans for free at pharmacies and community health centers. Oh, so 1.12 each? That is going to be up and running by early February. (laughs) Wow. We're trying to keep it positive. Listen, I mean, they've only been in office for a year. Give them some time to ramp up. They, They just learned of the pandemic. I mean, come on. Yeah, well, and this is another conversation that's been happening with the prominent healthcare policymakers. Often, when they make their appearances in the press, they're asked, Why aren't you saying that Americans need to upgrade their mask to a more protective mask that works better than a cloth mask, for example, or even a surgical mask at this point? They finally kind of went that way this last week. Yeah, but... Which is, wear the best quality mask you can. Yeah, but they're still hesitant to even say, like, a cloth mask is really, like, stop. Just... Fucking work. Yeah, get something that's better than that, please. And I think it's because of the concerns from early in the pandemic, right? When, like, Dr. Fauci wasn't telling people to get masks yet. And this is something, like, Rand Paul holds over his head for the rest of his life. He can't get over it. But it's because he didn't want everyone to rush out and go get a mask. And then there'd be a shortage, and then healthcare workers don't have it. Right. And so there's probably something similar going on here, which isn't great, again, because it's not full transparency. But there's this element of he probably wants to ensure that he's not creating a panic and having everyone go out and buy these masks, and then it leads to a shortage. So, I mean, the fact that they're going to get these N95s out <laughs> to Americans. Uh, uh, listen, I don't know why Walensky or Fauci hasn't yet said, listen, everybody, if you're still that fucking asshole wearing a net gator. Oh, my God. You just just walk yourself off a bridge because you're fucking hurting everybody. I, I mean, s- goddamn. At this point, if people are still wearing net gaiters, how did that happen? Yeah. I, part of me, like, I don't know if it's my lizard brain, but part of me thinks that they just think they look cool or something. Because you don't. You look like a jackhole. You're not helping anybody. It doesn't work. How much press and how much coverage was dedicated to no net gators? Even when you get on a plane, the flight attendant staff says, look, fuckers, no net gators. Yeah, the I mean, flight, that, the flight that's what they say because we fly southwest, but yeah, other the, airlines probably say it more classy. The flight attendant staff that is wearing mesh masks, that's they all right. gather together and yeah. shame everyone wearing net gators. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Now, thanks to Roxanne. We very much appreciate the voicemail. We have something on the topic of masks, though. And I was just fascinated by this report that came out of NPR about Neil Gorsuch and his refusal to wear a mask because Justice Sonia Sotomayor has diabetes and has concerns about COVID. And... Everyone wears a mask on the Supreme Court except for Neil Gorsuch. Refusal. And this report came out stating that Chief Justice Roberts asked Neil Gorsuch to wear a mask so that Justice Sotomayor could appear in person to hear oral arguments. The report said that he refused. Neil Gorsuch refused to do that. And so Justice Sotomayor has continued to appear via telephone. Right. They have now pushed back on that report and well, issued a kind of issued a joint statement. 
U.S. Supreme Court Justices Sonia Sotomayor and Neil Gorsuch are denying a report, a, a reported rift over wearing a mask. Today, in a rare statement, they said, quote, it is false. While we may sometimes disagree about the law, we are warm colleagues and friends. The justices specifically denied that Sotomayor, who's a diabetic, asked Gorsuch to mask up. NPR had reported that she joined oral arguments remotely because Gorsuch was not masked. It did not say that she asked him to wear one. NPR said today that it stands by its story. I love that little dig from Judy Woodruff there because (laughs) that's exactly right. The report that that statement is challenging. They didn't say that Sonia Sotomayor requested the mask. Yeah. They're saying that in that NPR report, they're saying that... Chief Justice Roberts requested that Neil Gorsuch wear the mask. So in their joint statement, when they're like, oh, yeah, we're really we're best friends and we we're warm colleagues. Yeah, we love each other. And they didn't even acknowledge anything about the mask. They're just like, everything's great, guys. Don't pay attention to what we do here. Well, for me, all it does is really elucidate the fact that the core is and it's filled and packed with extremists. Not just in their legal opinions, but even their personal behavior. Mm-hmm. Neil Gorsuch is the asshole at the grocery store who's arguing with the lady who's just trying to do her fucking job yeah. about whether or not he should wear a mask. <laughs> who's flipping the shopping cart when he gets asked to put a mask on? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mama, my liberty. Don't tread on me. Well, so because the joint statement didn't actually challenge the reporting, then what happened is an additional statement was released from Chief Justice Roberts. And he said he, quote, did not request Justice Gorsuch or any other justice wear the mask on the bench. So he just flat out denied yeah. the NPR report. Yeah. And of course, NPR is standing by their report. So, 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 so it comes down to this. Who do you believe? Do you mm-hmm. believe fucking Justice John Roberts, Chief Justice, or Neil Gorsuch? Or do you believe the, the, the reporters who are double sourcing and, and, and going through the, the rigorous journalistic uh, standard operating procedure, especially at NPR? And we're not talking about fucking Daily Wire here. It's NPR. Mm -hmm. So, anyway. Uh, We would love to hear from you. You can call, leave us a voicemail. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. I Doubt It is a listener-supported podcast. Support comes from our most loyal, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners just like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month would help keep the conversation moving forward one podcast at a time. If you have a few dollars to spare each month, we invite you to help produce the show by joining the Patreon family. Please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. We would like to thank our new Patreon supporters, Jim's over 21. Jim's over 21. Lisa KT. Lisa KT. Candace A. Candace A. Tony J. Tony J. Joe M. Joe M. T B. T B. John M. John M. Kelly E L. Kelly L. Kelly E L. Spells L. Okay. <laughs> Thomas C. Thomas C. And then we would like to thank our two Patreon supporters who have more than doubled the pledge. <laughs> Nice. Alana A. Alana A. And Bob L. Bob L. So I got all of the magnets that I 
needed to get done this month. They're done. Done. They're- you got them done, and I dropped them off at the post office. I did my part, folks. You did. I did my part. You dropped them at the post office, so they are in the mail. I wrote the people back who had sent me their address directly and said, got this done. It's going out. So those people know. But if you became a Patreon supporter any time before the end of the year, and even a little into January, because we gave you a little treat. Uh, let's do this. I just had an idea. Okay. Let's extend it on through the rest of the month. Yeah. I, I was going to plan to do that anyway. Oh, all right. Well, yeah. In sorry. a secret little gift way. Sorry. But we can also do it as a promotional way. Just chill. <laughs> um, but those January Patreon supporters will not get theirs until the end of January. Those won't go out until the end of January. That's so right. if you were supposed to have received a magnet and you did not receive one, please reach out to us. We want to make sure that you get these. And apparently they're taking a while to reach international places. Yeah, we have heard from multiple uh, listeners outside of the United States. And they have one just got there and they were a part of the first batch, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. So. Yeah. So uh, just keep an eye on those. Make sure you let us know. Where I thought you were going to say keep on keeping on. Do that keep, too. Keep keep on trucking. Do the good stuff. It's starting to get hot in this room. Very hot. And what happens when I get hot is it's like a Snickers commercial when you're you hungry. Angry. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> I turn into a toddler and I am enraged when I start sweating. So I'm trying to calm it down. And take some deep breaths. That's what you look like the the the, the baby character on The Incredibles when it turns into the devil <laughs> right now. Well, it's because my face turns red. Is that why? I don't know. <laughs> Just making hilarious jokes. Okay. Hilarious, hilarious jokes. Good. Anyway, we love you guys. Thank you for all your support, all of your patience, all of your dedication and loyalty and your listenership to the show. We could not do what we're doing without you. And every single dollar that you contribute in support of the show is very, very much appreciated. All right, moving on. Stalemocracy, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So Joe Biden, let's continue to talk about Joe Biden, held a press conference just yesterday about Republicans blocking the legislation, blocking, excuse me, blocking the the effort to amend the filibuster in order to pass some kind of voting rights legislation. Well, that was one of many topics. The press conference was supersized. And yeah, but I think I think that was the the main the main um push, the main and then of course the media takes over and asks questions and turns it into whatever they want it to be. Mm-hmm. Yes. And shortly after the press conference, dementia was tr- trending on uh. Twitter. Because everyone is an absolute nightmare. Not everyone. Just half people. <laughs> um, Three quarters of people. I Is it? I mean, I don't know. It, Twitter. Well. Tw- on Twitter. We're yeah, talking everybody about. Everybody on Twitter. Every single person with a Twitter account <laughs> is a fucking nightmare. And that includes you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. Is it half of the people on Twitter that are nightmares? I don't know. It could be more than that. But uh, yeah, so talking about Republicans, and this was actually what we're going to play here is in response to a question Joe Biden was asked about his his inability to get more things done during his first year in office and whether or not he essentially overpromised. I did not anticipate that there'd be such a 
stalwart effort to make sure that the most important thing was that President Biden didn't get anything done. See? Uh, all right. God damn it. I haven't even heard this clip yet. <laughs> Are you kidding me, Joe Biden? Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. I was the vice president for Barack Obama <laughs> for eight years and witnessed the tactics of the Republican Party who met on the day of his inauguration to stymie anything he could have gotten done. I was there. I witnessed everything. And I'm shocked, y'all. I cannot believe that Republicans would be this underhanded. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. Think about this. What are Republicans for? What are they for? Name me one thing they're for. And so the problem here is that I think what's happens, what I have to do in the, in the change in, in tactic, if you will, I have to make clear to the American people what we are for. We've passed a lot. We've passed a lot of things that people don't even understand what's all that's in it, understandably. Remember when we passed the Affordable Care Act and everybody thought that, uh, you know, it really was getting pummeled and beaten. And it wasn't until after we're out of office in that next campaign, when uh, that off-year campaign, and uh, I went into a whole—I wasn't in office anymore. We went a whole bunch of districts campaigning for Democrats, and Republican districts who said they wanted to do away with with uh, health care, with Obamacare. And I started pointing out that if you did that, pre-existing conditions would no longer be covered. And they said, "Huh? We didn't know that. We didn't know that." And guess what? We won. Over 38 seats because we had explained to the people exactly what, in fact, had passed. Now, one of the things that I remember saying, and I'll end this, I remember saying to President Obama when he passed the Affordable Care Act, I said, you ought to take a victory lap. And he said, there's so many things going on, we don't have time to take a victory lap. As a consequence, no one knew what the detail of the legislation was. They don't know a lot of the detail of what we passed. So the difference is... I'm going to be out on the road a lot, making the case around the country with my colleagues who are up for re-election and others, making the case of what we did do and what we want to do, what we need to do. And so I don't think I've overpromised at all, and I'm going to stay on this track. Huh, I wonder if people don't know the details of what he's done because he's talking about something from 2010 for two minutes when he's asked about his own administration in the present day. (laughs) That's not what I was going to say, but that's a very, very good point. How about this? Well, we had to explain to the people, why didn't you do what we've been screaming about for a fucking year and explain to the people in advance of what you're trying to pass? Why do you have to wait until it passes to explain it? Explain the value and the efficacy of what your policies will bring to people's lives in a far better way. How many times have we said Joe Biden needs to go directly to the American people in a a prime time presidential address? He hasn't done that. I don't know if it's they're trying to keep him away from the cameras or what. I don't know. I don't know. But God damn it. And then his, his tooting of his own horn... I told, I told President Obama, you should take a victory lap. And he didn't do it. He was wrong and I was right. That's ultimately what he's saying there. So I kind of um, furrowed my brow when you said that you don't know if it's because they don't want to 
put him in front of the camera or not? Is, yeah. Was that a conspiracy-like comment? No, I don't think that... Listen, I've said many times, I'm on the record as saying he's not senile. Mm-hmm. That I don't think he has any cognitive issue, mm-hmm. other than just being an old man. Mm-hmm. But if they are worried about the perception and trying to keep him out of the way of the camera, then that's that's a whole different thing. It's not necessarily because he is, but because of their worry about it. Mm-hmm. But every time I see him, he performs fine on his feet, asking questions in an impromptu way. It's extemporaneously speaking. It's not like a, a speech that he's reading. Mm-hmm. He is not. If you believe it, and if you're someone who talks like that, it's only because you don't like him or you're an asshole. Because mm-hmm. you're fucking wrong. He, he's clearly not um, suffering from senility. Also, they're not uh, qualified <laughs> to make that diagnosis. But I, I will say this was a disappointing answer for me. Because instead of talking about the Affordable Care Act for two minutes, he could have talked about his achievements. The infrastructure he, bill. You don't need to wait. The partial stimulus pa- uh, Payment that they sent out. You don't need to wait for your travels around the country and your plan to do that. You could have done that right then. Yeah, you had cameras on you. Yes. Right. And and instead, it's this story from 2010. Like, we got to move on. We got to move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I do appreciate that he's finally willing to say, what do Republicans stand for? Name me one thing they're for. I think that's a good question for Joe Biden when he starts defending Republicans endlessly and the value of being bipartisan. Well, it, it is... It's the same thing, again, now I'm tooting our horn, but we've been talking about how he's giving too much fairness and charity to to Republicans. He's hearkening back to a day when bipartisanship could be somehow accomplished, somewhat accomplished, because that's not the way it is anymore. And for him to act like Republicans are going to act in good faith is just naive. And I believe he may be. I believe Joe Biden may be too naive to navigate the current political waters that we swim in. Hmm. Just the way it is. Yeah. Well, in this next clip, he's asked by Peter Ducey. (laughs) Speaking of being given everything and you're a talentless little piece of shit. Well, Peter Ducey is, of course, Steve Ducey's son. Fox News. Fox News. Fox and Friends. Fox and Friends with our favorite Ainsley Earhart oh, as the co-host. Both of them. What about country? the majority? Okay, the majority. So tired of protecting the minority. <laughs> She's so loving. What a what great a loving quote. Christian lady. What a great drop. She's not a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> so, Peter Ducey gets up and asks Joe Biden, "Why is he pulling the country to the left?" <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Oh, I love that you're putting the clips together now because oh, I haven't heard these. Mm-hmm. He's he asks him what he thinks Joe Biden is pulling the, or he's contending that Joe Biden, milk toast, middle of the road liberal Democrat, who all of my leftist friends think is the devil, <laughs> they think he is pulling the country to the left. Why are you trying so hard in your first year? to pull the country so far to the left? Well, I'm not. I don't know what you consider to be too far to the left, if in fact we're talking about 
making sure that we had the money for COVID, making sure we had the money to put together the bipartisan infrastructure, making sure we were able to provide for those things that, in fact, would significantly reduce the burden on working class people, but make them they have to continue to work hard. I don't know how that is pointed to the left. If you may recall, I, uh, you guys have been trying to convince me that uh, I am uh, um, Bernie Sanders. I'm not. I like him, but I'm not Bernie Sanders. I'm not a socialist. I'm a mainstream Democrat, and I have been. And mainstream Democrats have overwhelmed me. If you notice, the 48 of the 50 Republic, uh, Democrats supported me in the Senate on virtually everything I've asked. Including the socialist that you're shitting on. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's very weird. I, I mean, he. oh, I like him, but I'm not a socialist. Oh, I'm not a socialist. Oh, Bernie Sanders will bring us to ruin. I'm not Bernie Sanders. I'll end it, but come on. I mean, just... <laughs> It just, I was like, is it going to go for the no, whole... No, it's, it's aggressive. Okay, yeah. it's, it's aggressive for a guy, Bernie Sanders, who's maybe working harder than any member of the Senate to get your uh, agenda passed. And for you're sure. going to fucking throw that guy right under the bus. It's just like, it's kind of a fuck you moment. I, if, if I would have been Bernie, I would have been on the phone like, come on, bro. Well, what and also, why does he feel the need, Joe Biden? So Peter Ducey asked this ridiculous question, and Joe Biden immediately is defensive. He says, I'm not. And then he says, I don't know what too far to the left is. So if you don't know what it is, why are you immediately saying I'm not doing that? Well, also, you're answering the question in good faith as though the question was asked in good faith. Like, well, let me give you a bunch of reasons why I'm not. It's fucking Peter Ducey, man. You don't have to even answer the question. Right. He's like, well, that's... Come on, I'm only taking questions from serious people today. So next, you know, come on, move, move on. Yeah. Well, and that was one of the criticisms that I saw from these radical conspiracy theorists on Twitter is that he was calling out reporters' names from a list. And in the, the phrasing on Twitter was a pre-approved list of reporters. When Peter Ducey got to ask a question, right. the Newsmax guy got to get up and ask him why Americans believe he's cognitively impaired. Uh, I mean, come on. Right. And they're concerned about who's asking the questions. Newsmax got to ask a question. Yeah. It's fine. They shouldn't have White House press privileges. Come, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, it's, come it's on. ridiculous. So anyway... Uh, we'd love to know what you think about this. 657-464-7609. Please do sound off with a voicemail or a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. So all of this kind of is happening within the context of Joe Biden's approval rating um, at the end of his first year in office being lower than many of the presidents who came before him. Quite low. 43%. Yeah. No, no it, it's decidedly low. It's not great. Yes. And... It's it's also concerning because Gallup just released a report on how party identification and leaning in the United States has changed or changed during 2021. And it's based on interviews with more than 12,000 randomly sampled adults in America. And what they found is that in kind of the first quarter of 2021, Democrats had a nine point advantage over Republicans. And this is when in the first quarter of 2021. Wow. So this this is the question that they were asked in politics. As of today, do you consider yourself 
And then the answer is a Republican, a Democrat, or an independent. And then if you answer you're an independent, they asked a follow-up question. Lean. As of today, do you lean more to the Republican Party yeah. or the Democratic Party? Now, in the first quarter of 2021, 49% said Democrat or lean Democrat. And 40% said Republican or lean Republican. Mm-hmm. By the end of 2021... 42% said Democrat. Wow. So it went down 49% to 42%. And then for Republicans, 47% by the end of 2021. So it went from 40% in the beginning of 2021 to 47%. Well, some of this is the fact that the American people are fucking stupid. And <laughs> voters are goddamn thick. Going back to that half of people being, um, what was it? What were we saying? Terrible yeah, or nightmares or something? Nightmare, yeah. yeah. I mean... It really is. I mean, the American people, um, television audiences, everybody, they they have a the, 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 the attention span of like half of a stop set during a TV show. It's it, from one minute to the next. I mean, Virginia was a solid blue state and then elected Yunkin because oh, they're going to teach kids about slavery. Ah, they lose their goddamn minds. Mm-hmm. People are stupid. People are emotional. People don't think clearly. They don't think about things. They 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 uh, I don't know. It, it's very disheartening for sure. Well, it's it's more than disheartening because this is often a strong indicator of how the House elections are going to go. Like it's it's kind of a predictor. Yeah, they say that all the time, but because of how quickly it switched, it also could switch right back if Democrats start acting right and start communicating properly and start doing what Joe Biden just said and explaining why things are are beneficial. They could turn the ship, you know. Well, that's that's my question, I guess. What do you think happened in 2021 to create this situation where more people started preferring to identify with Republicans rather well, than Democrats during 2021 the, where the pandemic was happening? I think it's clear. I think Joe, Joe Biden just explained it to us. I'm a middle-of-the-road Democrat, he said. I'm, I'm average. Mm-hmm. I'm milk toast. There's nothing to fear for me. I'm just a, I'm just a, a corporate Democrat. Mm-hmm. He doesn't inspire anyone. I mean, who's really fired up about Joe Biden? Mm-hmm. If you find somebody who's fired up about Joe Biden, they either work in the administration or they are fired up because they're a Democrat, right? And they're they hold a great uh, allegiance to the party. And that's why. Mm-hmm. It's not real being fired up. It's not real emotional um, action on their part. It's just programming. So if we're viewing this as kind of a measure of enthusiasm, does that mean that people grew more enthusiastic about the Republican Party during 2021? And if so, what would have prompted that? A simple hatred, disinterest, unhappiness with Democrats or they just really love Ron DeSantis. Like what? what? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think Republicans, from a messaging standpoint, are far better at what they do because fear sells. But uh, Democrats are not countering the message at all. Like when, when every time there's someone to talk about CRT, it just needs to be flatly said: this is a lie. CRT is not being taught in school. Mm-hmm. Point blank. Instead of grappling with the issue and the other side's argument in in with fairness and charity like it's a legitimate thing it's like no 
That this is not happening. They are lying. All they're trying to do is gin up fear in white people. Yeah. They just they don't communicate ideas well because I believe there is somewhat of an arrogance in the Democratic Party about because their ideas are for the most part, well not for the most part, absolutely their ideas are better than the Republicans. There's an arrogance about that that well, people are just going to see that our ideas are better. No, they're not. You need to explain it. Mm -hmm. You need to communicate why your policies will make their lives better. Mm -hmm. And being afraid of CRT doesn't make anybody's life better. All it does is get Republicans in office so they can further their sinister, damaging agenda. Well, and I wonder, too, if it's related to, like, even in those Joe Biden clips at the press conference, he's vacillating. Right. In one breath, he's able to say, what do the Republicans stand for? What are they doing? But then at the same time, he really like values his ability to still be friends with Republicans right, and have Republicans support him and have friendly relationships with Republicans. So I think that he could benefit from no longer doing that yeah, and instead yeah. sticking with the position of what do Republicans stand for? Some of that is muscle memory for him because mm -hmm. he's been around so fucking long. Right. But he's going to have to, you know, teach the old dog new tricks. Mm -hmm. And he's going to have to do what you just said. What you just said should be the hallmark communication tactic moving forward. Yeah. Is we stand for something. All they stand for is standing in the way. Right. I mean, that, right there, Joe Biden, there's your, there, there's your campaign slogan for Democrats going into 2022. We stand for something. They stand in the way. Yes. TMCR Jesse D. You can have it. Free. It's yours. I'm pretty sure you at first started uh, out with giving me credit for the idea, and then it suddenly evolved yeah, but into... I, I'm, the, I'm the Don Draper here. I just came up with the catchy slogan that everybody should be saying. Right, right, right. All right, we Tony Baloney, we get it. We stand for something... Tony Baloney. We stand for something, they stand in the way. Yeah. Pretty fucking good, I'll tell you what. <laughs> we can end the show right there, and I'd be real, real happy. But we won't, because we're going to talk about the January 6th committee. They are apparently seeking Ivanka Trump, who might be a linchpin to a whole bunch of information regarding what took place on the day of the insurrection. The head of the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack tells CNN they're now planning to ask Ivanka Trump to talk with them. This as they seek to learn more about her interactions with her father surrounding one of the darkest days in America's democracy. CNN's Paula Reed joins us now with more on this. What are you learning, Paula? Anna, this is a big move by the committee, really moving on the former president's innermost circle. Now, it's notable. This is a voluntary request for her cooperation. This is not a subpoena. And look, the committee has previously said they've been gathering evidence about what she was up to on January 6th. They've said they have firsthand testimony that she asked her father at least twice to do something to stop the violence. But in this eight-page letter that they sent her today on an astonishing new details about just how deep these lawmakers are in the Trump White House and how much they've learned about what was going on that day. For example, they say that they want to talk to Ivanka about a meeting that she observed in the Oval Office on January 6th. It was a phone call between Trump and his vice president, Mike Pence, where Trump allegedly pressured Pence to try to go along with his plan to undermine the certification of electoral votes. They want to talk to Ivanka about what she heard on at least one end of that phone call. They also want to know why the president didn't just 
go to the briefing room. There's always a live camera, plenty of reporters in the briefing room just steps away from his office. Why didn't he go there and call for an end to the violence? They're also seeking to talk to her about whether Trump did or did not order to deploy the National Guard. And they detail how staff members were trying to sort of deflect questions about what was going on with the National Guard at that time. Interestingly, they also detail evidence that they've gathered about efforts to keep the president away from, quote, crazy people. Apparently, this was an effort, according to the evidence they've gathered, spearheaded by Fox News host Sean Hannity. He was trying to enlist help from then-Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany, who agreed to try to keep him away from the, quote, crazy people. It looked like they were hatching a plan to try to just get him to Inauguration Day, quote, land the plane, as Hannity said. On a stunning amount of new details in this letter, it really paints the picture of a chaotic White House and staff members desperately trying to keep the president away from people who did not either in their eyes have his best interest at heart or who were pushing the big lie. Much of this evidence could be used to support the committee's theory that the former president abdicated his responsibility to the country. So listen, there's been a lot of news uh, about this committee and the subpoenas they've issued and the information they've gotten. I mean, they've they've subpoenaed and um, have in their possession the call records of both Eric and Kimberly Guilfoyle, Eric Trump and Kimberly Guilfoyle. But I'd like to know, they should be asking Ivanka Trump, listen, um, why is it that Donald Trump not only wants to fuck you, but also fuck the country? No? Um, too, 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 you think maybe too aggressive for, for the Democrats? I think he wanted to have a milkshake with her. He wanted to go down to That's the right. soda shop the, the, and share the, the a... The malt. Yeah, share a little malt. It is, um, again, here we are, kind of telling about how Democrats handle shit that they're out... Um, Ivanka, would you, would you would you volunteer to come down and have a little talk with us? Mm-hmm. Rather than we're going to subpoena you, we're going to compel your testimony under color of law. Mm-hmm. They're going to Ivanka. What is the the Svengali like uh, control that she has over people that that they just. What is happening? Just subpoena her. Have her come down. Mm -hmm. She was an employee of the White House. Isn't it kind of exhausting watching how long rich people can evade any kind of consequences? Like This is just being drawn out for a very long time. Yes. Ugh. Ah, Spacing out. Yeah, it is. I really was just like the thousand yard stare about how... It makes me want to go on a rampage. <laughs> Not a violent rampage, yes. but you know, like a, a, a screeching, yelling, standing on a street corner with a cardboard sign. Yeah. Kind of a rampage. Yeah, like that a, makes like more a, sense. Like a like an amplifier with a mic plugged in, like a street preacher. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. That kind of a rampage. Exactly. All right, let, let's let's move on from, from Ivanka Trump and talk about somebody else. I mean, let's, the Democrats. Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi. Well, you remember when Nancy Pelosi said that... Well, you remember when Nancy Pelosi was asked about her views on whether or not members of Congress should have a, a ban on trading stock? Yeah, she was opposed to banning. She Well, it's a free market. We should also be able to participate in that. She, mm-hmm. was, she was against... Uh, trying to to um, counter this move that's been a move since Congress has been Congress and trading stocks to trade on their inside information that they have and make themselves fabulously rich 
through their job, because of their job, due to their position as an elected official in service to the country. Well, she signaled today that she's actually open to considering uh, proposals to ban stock trading by members. And she went a step further, too. She said, listen, if we're going to do it, let's take the Supreme Court with us. Right. I trust our members. If, in fact, we should have severe uh, penalties for delay in reporting on stock, then do that. I've said to the, the House Administration Committee, review all the bills that are coming in and see which ones, uh, where, where the support is in our caucus. Uh, I think there are two letters. Each has like 14 members signing it so far. Maybe more will come, but that's what we have seen. But I do... I do come down always in favor of trusting our members. Now, if the impression that is given by some that somebody's doing insider trade, that's a, Nash, that's a Justice Department issue. Take, that's a Justice Department issue, and, and that, that has no place in any of this. But to give a blanket attitude of we can't do this and we can't do that because we can't be trusted, I just don't buy into that. But if members want to do that... I'm okay with that. And what I would add, and I would add, and this is the last thing I'm going to say on this uh, at this meeting, and, and I would add, do you know that the D- Supreme Court, now we in the House have disclosure in the Congress. We have disclosure and we have the Stock Act, which says if you sell a, 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 a stock, you have to report it in an X number of days, and if not, there's a penalty. Should those penalties be greater? subject to review. I mean, I don't know why they people don't do it on time, but whatever it is, if there's a penalty, right. and it should on. be more severe, so be it. But the United States Supreme Court, where decisions are made all the time that affect our environment, our workforce, our personal freedoms, every subject you can name, at the mercy of the court, our economic issues and the rest, no disclosure whatsoever, and certainly no stock act. I don't know if we're saying everybody should be living by the same standard, then let so be it. That's okay with me. But I don't think that the court should be let off the hook, and even the the, uh, Chief Justice said recently that there... The impression was that there were some scandals in judges making decisions that related in a way that wasn't right. So I say when we go forward with anything, let's take the Supreme Court with us. So (laughs) there was about 40 seconds that I cut off the beginning part of this clip where she just talks about how much integrity everyone um, in Congress has and how much trust she has in all the members of Congress. The FBI was at a Democrat's office today. Yes. (laughs) You know what I mean? They were raiding the office and home of a Democrat in Texas. Yeah. (laughs) A congressman, like a federal in the Congress. Mm -hmm. So, you know what? Also, I love this. Well, maybe us too, but what about them? Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. When she's listing off like how much power the Supreme Court has. The Speaker of the House. You also have the power in Congress. So that yeah. why would different rules apply? And, th- and th- by the way, let- let's not lose sight of the fact that Nancy Pelosi is fantastically wealthy. 
Oh, so I was getting ready to talk about that. So this this comes this shift in tone from Nancy Pelosi comes a day after Donald Trump criticized her specifically on this issue on Breitbart during a promotional call. And uh, he said that it's it's not fair to the rest of the country. <laughs> you know, he, oh, he has a strong ethic, right. strong ethics and moral positions wow. related to uh, financial matters specifically. But according to Business Insider, Nancy Pelosi and her husband, Paul Pelosi, have made millions of dollars on tech stocks. And this is according to their financial disclose- disclosures. And Business Insider actually rates the trading activity of members of Congress, and they have given her a borderline rating after uncovering a stock act violation by one of her staffers. Hello, pores. So when she's doing that, well, I don't know why anyone would be late on letting everyone know why they sold their stock. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. we we know what's going on here. Everyone knows it's not great. I just talked listen, just the other day when Roger Marshall, the senator from te- uh, from I keep saying fucking Texas, from Kansas, when he was was railing against Dr. Fauci in the hearing and was like, well, there might be something going on with your investments, like just creating out of thin air this this the the implication that it might be happening. Mm-hmm. He was 17 months late last year mm-hmm. in reporting um, a lot of stock trades. It's very common for them to report late. Very, very common. More uncommon than not common. Mm-hmm. Just come on. Mm-hmm. It, it is... We, we need to get rid of Nancy Pelosi. Look, I, I get it. People love her, and she's a great strategist. But we need a new generation of Democrats who are going to lead with integrity and not hold up the old status quo of politics. And she is one of them. It's, it's fucking terrible. Uh, well, we don't want to leave you like that, though. Well, also, it's positive that she seems to be reversing her position, right? Is she? It didn't seem like a reversal. Well, to me. I mean, it seemed like hedging. Like, well, I'm. I guess I'm open. I guess I'm. I guess I'm open to it. If we can take the Supreme, if everybody else gets punished and isn't able to do bad shit, I guess we will stop doing it too. Yeah, I mean, she hasn't fully reversed her position, but at least there's some movement happening because of the pressure that she is under, uh, and yeah. that's a positive thing. It is. I'm not. Yes, it is. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Taking care of biz. Sue Gandhi. Sue Gandhi. An Illinois resident who has a pantry that she runs out of her home, out of her garage, called Sue's Pantry. There's no website, no social media presence, and she created a pantry where she can help her fellow neighbors, and it has grown into an operation where she's feeding hundreds of families per week. Wow. And I think it's a very inspiring model that other people may want to follow. Okay, here we go. On one of the coldest days of winter... Let's put some fruit in the, the, the their bags. Sue Gandy's North Suburban Chicago garage is filled with warmth. How are you? What do you need? How can I help you? For 12 years, Sue's been using word of mouth and her own money to feed anyone who's struggling. This is a double XL, so this will probably go in a large kit or maybe one of the parents. Even distributing warm winter coats. What I think people don't realize is how many people are living in need. In this country. Following our visit last winter, she's expanded her pantry. Oh, God. 
She's an angel from heaven. Volunteers now load groceries for delivery to single mothers, refugees, the unemployed, the elderly. There's a lot of hidden poverty in our communities. Sue feeds some 200 families a week. It just helps getting that extra fruits and vegetables because they're so expensive. Many she's helped in the past now paying it forward. You had to rely on her at one point, too. I did. We did. Our, uh, most of our food came from Sue. At, at one point. So now this is my way of giving back to the people in my community. This is more than a food pantry. It's just to take this a step further. We're feeding the body, but we also want to feed the soul. Right out of the garage. Right, yes, right out of here. Because right here, right now, people need help. Kevin Tibbles, NBC News, Vernon Hills, no, Illinois. I mean, I could- so I love that also people who were assisted by her in the past are now working as volunteers to help deliver groceries and uh, essential items to yeah, other people it, who need it. Kind of a pay it forward model. Mm-hmm. I was helped and I'm going to I'm going to pass that on mm-hmm. to others. Uh, listen, in the absence of the government getting it done, in the absence of we the people paying for services like this to be executed by the government, um I'm thankful for people like Sue Gandhi. Mm-hmm. It's it's fantastic for somebody to actually, in this day and age, uh, after what we've witnessed throughout this pandemic, for someone for years and years now, going on longer than 10 years, to be standing in the gap for her neighbors and people she doesn't even know. It, right. It's really a mark of decency mm-hmm. and love and kindness and compassion. Yeah. And there tends to be this kind of pessimistic meme that pops up on the internet whenever these stories go viral and people will say oh you're celebrating a story of like a governmental failure to provide people the necessary resources to live and instead placing the onus on this individual but like you said in the absence of a government who is taking care of its people the fact that citizens do step up yeah and fill that gap is really powerful and to know that this one person has created a pantry out of her home, out of her garage, that is now serving up to 200 families per week Yeah, I mean, with essential items. Imagine how much food is in your house right now. You couldn't feed 200 people with mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's a lot of in and out, a lot of, of going through food. And and imagine the organization. Imagine that the, I mean, get on the ground with it. Don't look at it from the 30,000 foot view that it's, she had to go to places to have them donate food and organize this and build this from the ground up. That's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears and, and giving of her time and treasure. And we need more people like this in the world. So yeah. Sue Gandhi is absolutely taking care of biz today. We'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Thank you for joining us today and every day that you do. We would love to invite you to support the show on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. Every single dollar goes a long way toward uh, growing this particular operation into something fantastic. We moved across the country to grow what we do, to make what we do more impactful. And we hope that you will join us in that. We will also see you next time. Until we do, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been... I doubt it.